Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is eight listener questions that I have from, I suppose it's eight different, maybe even more than eight different, because some questions have are asked by more than one person, but uh, I'm going to give attribution where I can. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media. Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. First question from my friend Mike Stiebelein. He's been on before. And he said, with the reports of paper shortages, what are your thoughts on card companies buying up cases of junk wax error cards simply for the paper? Then he got into, well, is it wrong to destroy cards? It's not a felony. It's not illegal to destroy cards. It brings to mind that in World War II, there was a, a paper shortage. There was a paper drive and a lot of cards from before World War II were lost to these paper drives where they were salvaging. And it's reverse logistics. It's a problem. I don't know that the specific kinds of paper, I'm I'm just not sure uh, whether the pricing uh, matters when you're collecting up the stuff, chopping it up, and then reconstituting. I'm not sure that works. But the problem in the industry is twofold. It's not just the paper shortage. It's the shortage of the collating and inserting machines. Again, if you're just printing up the cards, if you've got the paper and the ink, you can just let it rip. But packing it out is a huge bottleneck as well, maybe even a bigger bottleneck. Second question from Greg Scholes, commenting on Jay Baker's museum exhibit that he has down in Naples, Florida. And he said, I'd love to see the collection in person. Found some photos online. Is there more complete collection of the photos? Only thing I know, and I think this would be true of me as well if I were doing this, is that I think they're encouraging people to go to Naples. And it's the artist Naples the Baker Museum, and it's in Naples, Florida. So uh, spring break, I guess, is over. But I think the exhibit is up through May. And after that, Greg, I, I too am hoping that it will be made available where you can see without having to go there. Or what I recommended to Jay is that he take it on the road. He's got fabulous stuff that deserves to be seen in more than just a, a picture. Third one was from Ken Kinsley, Beans Ball Card Blog, talking about players' final cards. And yes, I think that was a thing back in the day, not as much now. When you're having the annual statistics and you can see somebody's whole career, now statistics are pretty easy to find. But again, who knows? That could come back in vogue. A career retrospective, 69 Mantle, I think that's part of its charm. Mays, he's got a 73 card, but then he's got a 74 World Series card as well, but it's not a regular card. Okay, fourth question from Daniel Wilson. Actually had a couple of things about, uh, he'd looked at the videos that are of the card wall that are posted to YouTube, so they're not on a podcast, but they're just posted to YouTube. He was commenting on the one that had Tom Brady in it. And I shared what I chose to display for Tom Brady and what I chose not to. And I actually had this Kurt Warner, Tom Brady dual autograph that I did not choose because it dilutes the Tom Brady aspect, but I just thought I'd show it. And he liked that. So, so when I'm doing these videos for the wall, I'm showing things that are on the wall as, th- as well as things that didn't make the wall, but are still interesting cards. Not exhaustively, but just uh, showing a few things for people that you haven't seen. And Jim Bout was on there, which he commented about, who was a, a really good pitcher for a while, but an even more uh, provocative author that uh, pulled back the curtain for baseball. And baseball's never been the same. Other question he had or comment on the card wall that had Roger Clemens and Roberto Clemente, and I was lamenting having to choose. What would I pick? And he disagreed with me. I had a mirror gold, uh, Roger Clemens. And the, the other comment he made I think was good is that when I choose a card to be on the card wall, you can take the card off the wall and you can look on the back, but I'm trying to pick cards that have distinctive fronts. If they have an interesting back, it's 
going to be infrequent that somebody looks at the back. So I don't want the, the back to be the uh, differentiator. Let's see. TJ Mack, Vintage Cards. Terry said, I enjoy the videos. I like that you cover a variety of sports, not just the Hall of Famers. It's a reflection of your knowledge and passion for sports. Thank you, Terry. Yes, I, I don't think I have a passion for all sports, but I have a passion for a whole bunch of sports. And the sports I have a passion for, in some manner or fashion, I'm going to put them on the wall. But even more so, I have a passion for sports cards. And I think that as I'm encouraging any listener, if you have knowledge about the sport and knowledge about the cards, you're, well, I, I just think that's the recipe that I've used and I would encourage you to use. Learn about the sport and you maybe already know about the sport, but then learn about the cards that, that cover the time periods that, uh, that you're interested in. If I'm going through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, I'm golden. You get to the 90s, still golden. The 2000s, the, the 2010s, the 2020s, not quite as much, especially in hockey. So I'm going to try to stay in my lane, and yet sometimes something comes up that I find of interest. Okay, let's see. There was a comment, an anonymous comment about gambling. Isn't this gambling? It, it probably is gambling in some sense, in the sense that there's always some uncertainty, and you're making a bet by buying something that it's worth what you paid or will be worth more or not, even if you're a collector. You're still uh, betting that you're hoping you'll have this instead of the money over some period of time. Um, but I'm not addressing that as much as I think there's some bad gamblers out there. If it's all gambling to some degree, maybe a benign kind of gambling when you're not gambling your lunch money or your mortgage money, but bad gamblers are people that don't know the odds, that don't count the cost, that don't realize in some of these games the deck is stacked against them. They realize there's always uncertainty and they're looking for an edge. Otherwise, how could there be professional gamblers? Gambling would be a road to ruin, and it's not if you have an edge, if you figured out an angle. But going against the house in Vegas, where I was, I did not gamble there, okay, because the deck is stacked against me. But do I buy cards that I think might go up and might go down? Yes, I do. And am I a professional at that? I think I make more money each year than I lose, but I do occasionally lose by something that turns out to be not a good deal. Okay, this is IG High Speed Card Chase commenting about Mantle versus Maze, Rich Klein and I had. And he asked the less frequently asked question. I just want to bring it up. He said, I appreciate this. It's clear Maze is undervalued relative to Mantle. But is Maze undervalued in general, or is this just a case of Mantle being way overvalued? I think that's the question that needs to be asked. Actually, both could be true, <laughs> that Maze could be undervalued in general because he was a fabulous player, a generational talent, or is this a case of Mantle being way overvalued? Yes, I think Mantle, in any rational sense, is way overvalued. And any kind of a, a general manager, is he worth a thousand other players? He's a thousand times more valuable than, than uh, somebody else. Yeah, okay. And then finally, got a nice comment from Frank Costella, the golf pro from Michigan. And he said he'd been selling on eBay. This is with respect to my eBay learning experience. He's been selling on eBay since 1999. Runs 50 to 75 auction items a week, starting most of them at 99 cents. Pretty high sell-through rate. Also has a store with another 3,500 cards at fixed price. And he finds that his auctions actually drive people into his store where they buy more. And he's Feels like you can see he's developed a good following of repeat buyers. I'm also getting some repeat buyers. I've chosen not to have a store at this time, and I'm actually not doing individual cards. I'm only doing groups of cards, so I'm doing lots. And uh, I did try 
an auction. <laughs> Frank, thanks for the suggestion, but my auction was not successful as I sold a lot. And it, uh, at the very last minute, it was sniped or whatever at 99 cents, 99 cent minimum. And so I basically sold the cards for essentially free because uh, I probably undercharged on the postage as well, which is also factored in. No harm, no foul. Again, this is a learning experience. No foul, any but harm is I, it cost me a learning experience. I'm getting some repeat business and I can see that. But I think what's driving that, as I can see now, is the feedback that I'm getting that has specific comments of, that there's decent value in the lots and that I'm a quick shipper. And I think then people want to buy more. And the other thing I didn't do that I thought would be obvious is I, I wasn't putting in there that if you buy more than one lot, I will attempt to combine packaging and postage to save them some money. I, I thought that'd be obvious, but I guess not. And I, I had one guy that had three lots and he he <laughs> sent me and he paid for each of the three individually. And before I knew it, I thought, this is not fair. I'm going to send them all tomorrow, three different packages, and I could combine them into one slightly bigger box. And, and either I could pocket the money or I could get it back to him. I did what I thought was the right thing, which was to give it back to this guy who now maybe he'll, again, when you're selling player lots and things like that, some people... They don't care how good a deal it is if it's not their player. <laughs> if you have another guy, they're not just buying two or three different players because it sounds like a good deal. I'm looking for people that collect Jose Canseco. If there's a hundred assorted Jose Cansecos, are they, do they want to pick up a hundred Mark McGuire's just to save on the postage? I don't think so, unless they want Canseco and McGuire and Sosa or whoever else they want to want to pick. So. Again, it's been a learning experience. It's been fun. Frank and everybody else, thanks for the suggestions you've made. I'm going to come back to this. I'll deal with this uh, again at a later time. And again, on the whole, it's been worse than I thought and better than I thought. And better in enough ways that I'm staying the course. If I keep getting some great suggestions, you guys helping me, and I'll try to help you on some things as well. So thanks, Frank. Thanks, everybody else that wrote in with their questions and comments. If you've got questions or comments, send them to drjamesbeckett at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. And I will be happy to read them and either respond individually or or I really prefer doing it if you've got a really interesting question or comment, I want to put it on the podcast. And if you've got a bunch of them, as you've heard, some of them wind up coming on the podcast to discuss their crazy ideas that I can compare to my crazy ideas. So thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Greatest hobby in the world. And I will see you tomorrow. Or you will hear me tomorrow. The man